What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Bets and Banter presented by me. That's Liam Picks Fights. Welcome to the channel. We're talking UFC Vegas 75, and we have got two great guests on the show. One of them we're still trying to get connection with, uh, but we're expecting to hear from former UFC fighter Saeed Yukub Kakramanov. Very excited to talk to him. He's fought Ronnie Lawrence, who will be fighting on the card this weekend. But who we've got right now is my guy, friend of the show, Mick Picks, my brother, back on the show once again, having a great year so far and riding a great wave of momentum, plus 171 units, 9% ROI, track third party, over a thousand bet sample size. So my man, we're really excited to have you back on the show. How are you, brother? Doing good. What's going on? Appreciate you having me back on again. It's been a while. You know, we got a good fight card here. We had 14 scheduled bouts. We were just talking about this. We lost the, now we have 12. We lost the Hyoni Barcelos versus Mile John. And we also lo lost the Zalgas Umagula fight. So, but still a good fight night card. Um, still some good matchups and still some spots to make some money. So it's exciting. Absolutely. It's a classic now in the UFC tradition. We get a promised fight card of 14, 15, whatever it is. And we just know that come fight week, whether it's at the weigh-ins, it's at the fighter hotel, whatever it is, we're going to lose one of them. We're going to lose two of them. Hopefully these guys get rebooked. Hopefully we find some short notice opponents. Hopefully we can do some rejiggering of the card. Uh, we got a lot of lighter weight matchups. So hopefully we figure out a way to make it all work. But either way, excited to talk about the 12 matchups that we've got left. And hopefully our guy Saeed Yacoub will be joining us in time to talk for the Ronnie Lawrence-Daniel Argetta fight. So we'll kind of shelve that one to the back. Uh, but first, we're going to start in the light heavyweight division, my brother. We got Modestus Bukowskis kicking off the card, taking on Zach Pauga. And Pauga on the one hand. Oh, there he is. The man of the hour. Saeed Yacoub is in the building. How are you, brother? Welcome to the show. What's up, guys? What's up, man? How you doing, man? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, really excited to have you on the show, man. For people that don't know, Saeed Yacoub has fought in the UFC. Uh, he is absolutely dominating on the regional scene uh, since he left, and he is a absolute killer in the bantamweight division. Got a lot of lighter weight fights on the card, so who better to talk to? Plus, the guy's been cashing a lot of bets. Uh, we see it uh, on his Twitter profile if you follow him there. All his information is in the description below. But without further ado, we'll kick it off at light heavyweight, folks. We got Modestus Bukowskis, Zach Pauga. Pauga, former tough guy, came off of that show, got knocked out brutally by Muhammad Usman. Then he moves down from the heavyweight division, goes back to light heavyweight, and duh, just an absolute disgusting fight against Jordan Wright. Pinned him against the fence, did a lot of things smart there. But it wasn't really an inspiring performance. And to be the first guy to go the distance with Jordan Wright is not a, a badge of honor or something that people wear around like a medal. But I think that in this fight, you know, I've actually liked what I've seen from Modestus, right? He left the UFC. He came back with a purpose. Uh, he has a couple of red flags, I think, for the big price tag. He has had some uh, major surgeries. He's had big injuries in the octagon. He's been knocked out in the first round. But I don't think Pauga is the most dangerous guy. He has one finish regionally where he drops a couple elbows on a guy who looked very undersized. He's not going to be the bigger fighter here. Despite coming down from heavyweight, Modestus is going to have a slightly longer reach. He's the taller fighter. And I think he looks a little bit more muscular as well. Wouldn't be surprised if he cuts a touch more weight. So I like Modestus here. He's got way more experience. 
but it's a volatile light heavyweight fight nonetheless. So don't feel inspired to lay the chalk, but I just think Modestus is probably the side here. Uh, I think his story is a little bit more inspiring too. And I think Zach Pauga is probably coming off with a decent contract uh, from the ultimate fighter and they might be trying to, you know, expedite the, uh, the experience. So uh, what do you think about this one? Saeed Yacoub, do you have uh, thoughts on this matchup and uh, do you feel inspired to bet either way? Man, this handicap fighters, man. What's wrong with these people, bro? I don't even know, man. I can't even pick these guys, man. You know what I mean? Usually you go with the... Um, man, fuck, man. These guys, man. I don't know, man. I think, um, like I said, handicap fighters. You know what I mean? No bet on this fight. <laughs> Fair play, man. Light heavyweight uh, is not going to be featured prominently on this card. We do have a lot of higher skilled matchups, so no surprise. This one's kicking us off a little bit more volatile. Um, do you have anything on this fight, uh, Jay, or do you think this is a pass fight as well? Uh, betting wise, I have nothing on it. But you know, prior to looking into this one, I thought I was going to pick and potentially bet Pauga, just based on his volume and minute winning capabilities. But after looking into it. Kind of like you said, I feel like Buzkowskis just has a number of advantages that I, I think gets him to win. He's six years younger, way more experienced, has fought the better level of competition, like you said. He's a little bit bigger, probably has the finishing upside. I mean, Pauga couldn't finish Jordan Wright. I mean, that's a, that's a red flag right there. He's got a 17% finish rate at the 205 division. Yeah, I don't want to play him. Plus, I think that this plays into Modestus' favor as he typically loses by finish. And he's been finishing four or five losses. And in my opinion, he's undefeated in decisions. He fought uh, Mikhail Oleschuk. Is his only decision lost? And I thought he won that fight. So I'm going to go with Modestus by decision here, but no bet for me. Yeah, I kind of feel like we all sort of agree on this fight. It's not a very yeah. inspiring leg, but it just feels like Modestus probably going to get it done here. Um, but two guys. Uh, Handicap fighters, as Saidi Koop says, maybe maybe guys that we don't want to be laying too much money on. So next up, we've got the fight of the hour, the the main event on this show. Uh, we're talking about Ronnie Lawrence against Daniel Argetta, and I had the absolute pleasure of going back and rewatching uh, the decimation from Saidi Koop. So uh, hats off to you, sir. It was a uh, fantastic performance, and some of the things that stood out, you know, I don't think that uh, you wrestle in a way that a lot of guys wrestle in the UFC. Uh, a lot of things that stood out, including reaching around the waist and then grabbing inside the knee uh, to get the lift several times. You were able to elevate Lawrence. I don't even think he expected um, takedowns from those positions. So uh, I think especially early on in the fight, he just completely took him by surprise. And as the fight went on, you're beating him up, wearing on him, uh, and you got to a lot of great positions. So uh, over the course of the fight, uh, it, it seemed to me like he had kind of just conceded to the fact that this is not going to go my way. Then he's just looking to make it to the 15 minute decision. So, um, you know, that was a fight where again, hats off to you. I made, I made a considerable amount of money. So I appreciate you for that. Uh, great underdog odds there. Couldn't believe it. And so I think that this is the kind of fight where a lot of people are going to say, man, you know, prior to that, Ronnie Lawrence was, was the talk of the town. So this fight is a fight where he's going to storm back. But I feel like Daniel Argetta is a very tough matchup for him in a lot of ways, you know, uh, number one, he normally bails himself out with easy takedowns all the time in these fights. Like the Mana Martinez fight, he's just easily taking him down whenever he wants to. Whenever he got hurt in that fight, he would shoot for takedowns. And I feel like Argetta's very difficult to take down. And I feel like he's also proven that he could fight hard for 25 minutes uh, prior in the LFA 
Um, so I just don't think that he's a guy that I'm necessarily expecting to gas out here at 135, where his level of preparation is high, where he's had a full camp. Because we saw him come in against Damon Jackson at 145 pounds, got out grappled a little bit there. But Damon's a pretty big guy. He's a guy who's cut into 145. He was more prepared for the date. So I feel like a couple things went against him there. He's a guy that's also been putting together experience. He was on the Ultimate Fighter when he was just 5-0. and uh, lost to Tercios there in a close fight. Could have went either way. Tercios ends up winning uh, the championship on that show. So I feel like, for me, this is a Dan Orgetta or pass situation. I feel like he's got more confidence and momentum coming into this fight. He's the plus 160 underdog. Um, so I kind of like the Argetta side here, but I see the uh, arguments, the counter arguments that Lawrence could have some success if this fight stays on the feet. Dan's not the most precise puncher, doesn't have great defense at times, kind of just wades in a little bit unconcerned about his chin. That could eventually cause him some problems, but Lawrence hasn't proven to be the best finisher either at the UFC level. So uh, for me, this is a, a fight where I'm leaning towards the underdog or passing. Uh, Saeed Yacoub, I'm sure everybody's anxious to hear your opinion on this one, uh, seeing as you have some experience against 50% uh, of this fight. So what do you think about this fight? Uh, do you think that Argetta is a live underdog here? You know, I know both of them very well. You know, I know Dan, I trained with him in the past, way before the UFC. I mean, he's a tough dude. He fought at 155. He used to fight at, he used to fight at 155, and he went down to 45 and 35. I mean, I agree with you, you know what I mean? Um, Ronnie is not, he's not, he's not on that level, you know? And then I think um, Dan will pick up the unanimous decision easily. He's going to out-wrestle him. He's going to just dominate the, dominate the whole fight on top. That's how it's going to end because I know how he wrestles. I know everything about him. And then Ronnie, I know I already felt him. So, I mean, easy. It's easy money, and I think I got to go with Dan. I love it. And the thing that stood out, again, about your fight was that so often in that fight, you had his back flat pinned to the mat. And that's something that is just a huge red flag um, when you want to back somebody in the UFC against a wrestler. If they're getting taken down and they're instantly not turning to a hip, trying to work their way back up to the feet, uh, it's a huge red flag. They're just going to spend too much time on their back. And in that fight, you were able to get takedown, takedown, takedown throughout the contest. Uh, kind of laid a blueprint on how to beat him because he's been doing that to other fighters who are at a lower level in terms of the wrestling, maybe a little less experience. And now he's going against somebody who's probably going to be able to match him in those categories. So a lot of great points and uh, totally agree. What do you think, Jay? Is it a unanimous panel? Do we think our get is a live dog or uh, do you have some dissension? What do you think? Uh, it's not unanimous. Um, I'm a little more confident in Ronnie Lawrence than you guys are. You know, it's funny before I knew Saeed Yukub was coming on the show. Um, what I was going to say was, is that, you know, Ronnie Lawrence was sitting minus 150 on the money line for a while. And I thought we were getting a decent price because of his previous loss to Saeed Ukub. You know, because if you're if you're an MMA fan, you know how good this guy is. So I just think Lawrence is the type of guy to that you want to put your money on. He has a good gas tank. He pushes a heavy wrestling pace, averages, based on the stats, seven takedowns landed per 15 minutes. He's dynamic on the feet. He doesn't settle. I think he has underrated striking. He's tough, durable, and he's going to fight for your money. Even yeah. in his fight against Saeed Yukub, you know, he did not give up. And I think yeah. Argetta, on the other hand, he's he's a really good fighter. But I just think that he doesn't really excel anywhere. He just he almost seems like pretty generic just based on what I've seen. You know, he's a decent striker. He's a decent wrestler. He has decent cardio. He's tough. But I feel like he could be outgrappled and controlled on the mat, you know, like Saeed Yukub did. Uh, I'm sorry, like Damon Jackson did, up away, like you said, it was up away class and on short notice, but he got controlled for like 10 minutes of that fight. 
And then if you take if you take a look at his ultimate fighter fight, it wasn't really the best look in the third round. He um was out grappled by a striker and he pretty much was controlled that entire time and he was uh he lost that fight. So I'm team Ronnie Lawrence for this one. I think both guys are tough. I think he takes it by unanimous decision. Yeah, I think Tercios was a lot more experienced than him at the time. And I think that he kind of just let the moment get the best of him there. You know, the ultimate fighter, really big opportunity, uh, really high pressure spot as well. When you're 5-0 and and you're in there with a guy who uh, I feel like was pretty well regarded on the show, um, that, that was something for me where I just felt like the pressure got the best of him. Thought he won the first round there and just kind of let the fight slip away in round two. Um, you know, he let, um, you know, his opponent get back into it. But I feel like we've also seen Argetta apply a really high wrestling pressure and pace himself. So for me, it comes down to who's going to get takedowns here because I do see what you're saying. You know, Ronnie Lawrence, when he was getting on top, he was doing a good job staying in the guard, staying safe uh, for the most part, doing the right things and operating from there. And Argetta, that was the one thing that concerned me um, in some of his fights was when he got taken down, he wasn't super anxious to get back to his feet. You know, he was just holding on a little bit. Um, but I do think he's improved over time. And, you know, the last couple of fights from him, I feel like we've seen him trending in the right direction. So that's for me the the kind of momentum I'm looking for. But uh, I agree um, that it's going to be a fun competitive fight uh, in the early going. So should be a good scrap here at 135, but lean him with the underdog here um, to make it two in a row. Uh, so let's see. Next up, we got Teresa Bleda taking on Gabriela Fernandez at 125 pounds and this is another interesting fight because um, Teresa Blada looked good in the first round against Natalia Silva at various points. Uh, she did give up a couple of wild throws and things like that, uh, but she used her size, her leverage to come out on top in some of those exchanges. She did a decent job of uh, imposing her will from on top, but I also felt like, you know, it was some things that were mistakes from Natalia Silva. She's another really young fighter uh, who's very talented and especially on the feet, you know, she's a killer for the women's uh, divisions. But I think that on the ground, she's still a work in progress, you know, uh, and we saw that, you know, she was put in a triangle choke pretty deep there from Bleda, uh, but she was able to defend it pretty, um, you know, uh, at, at like a medium level of jujitsu acumen, right? It wasn't, it wasn't very high level stuff and she was able to get out. Uh, hold on there. And I felt like Blada gassed out considerably. I felt like she took a ton of massive shots in that fight. Um, so those were things that were really concerning for me. You know, her opponent here does not have great takedown defense. Uh, and I think that's her biggest liability. You know, she could get taken down. She gave up some bad positions, but she fought really tough against Jasmine Jasuda Vicious. Um, I, I mentioned on the show last week, I thought Miranda Maverick was just too high a price at minus 250 against Jasmine because she's difficult to wrestle. She's big, long body, and she's in Canada where they were going to give her the nod if it was close. So for me, this was a fight where, uh, you know, we learned that she's tough. She went out there, didn't get finished in her UFC debut from a girl who was on top of her in good positions, landing ground and pound, trying to uh, really dominate her in the late going. And she stayed tough in that fight. I feel like here, um, you know, if she doesn't get submitted in the early going, I think she's going to be very competitive. Bladed just puts her head on the platter, you know, gets hit with clean shots. She's fighting a southpaw here who throws good kicks to the body, good kicks upstairs, heavy uh, straight left hands. And she's 29 years of age. I just feel like she's a little more experienced, a little bit more mature uh, in her career. I feel like Blade is still developing physically. Um, and so, again, I think she's got paths to win this fight. Make no mistake, she could get takedowns, but... I just didn't love the cardio. I didn't love some of the dynamics I saw. Uh, and I think people have some uh, impressions from like the Pudalova fight uh, on her record or whatever. 
that fight was the weirdest rule set you'll ever see. If you go back and rewatch it, every time she gets a takedown, they like stand it back up to the feet. Not a good, not a good uh, data point, right? It's just not like a normal fight. So um, I feel like she was able to just get takedown, takedown, but she makes mistakes on the ground. Nayira Maya was looking like, uh, you know, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu savant at various points in that fight, going for submissions, entering on triangles and stuff. She had no physicality to back it up. And I bet her, uh, you know, small in that spot because Blada just has some things that are a little bit underdeveloped to me. She's very talented, but I just feel like there's some things she's still putting together. So I'm not, I'm not sold at this heavy price tag, especially minus 250. Uh, it would be a dogger pass situation for me. Uh, Jay, we'll start with you, my man. What do you got on this one? Let me just start off by saying this. Uh, Zaddy the baddie, Zalgir Sumagulov, not fighting this card, but he just got rebooked against Joshua Van for next week in Jacksonville. So we're getting, we're getting the, uh, the bowl cut. All right. Um, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. Um, full disclosure, I took Fernandez against Jasmine in a previous fight. I knew she had some defensive, you know, wrestling and grappling liabilities, but honestly, I didn't think they'd be that bad. You know, she really has nothing on bottom, and her, her get-up game is essentially non-existent. With that being said, she's a really good striker. I mean, really good Muay Thai. She hits hard. She's strong, athletic, fast, dangerous on the feet. But she's fighting against another big, young, strong girl in Blada who seems to, you know, be pretty reliant to wrestle. Unless Fernandez, you know, has made, like, significant improvements since her previous fight. Uh, with the wrestling, then I think you have to pick Blada, but I'm not I'm not laying the minus two seventy five on her. But I think she wins. I think Blada wins by decision, but um, I wouldn't be surprised at a finish. I feel like Blada's also fought some pretty small girls. You know, even Natalia Silva. I mean, she's strong. She's she's athletic. She's tiny, dude. She's like five five or something. Um, and relative to her opponent, I'm talking about Blada's just long, tall. She's got all this size. I don't think she's going to have a huge size advantage here. So I think that she's finally going to be, uh, you know, in that first round, Natalia Silva wasn't getting bullied in the clinch. She just made a few mistakes getting too aggressive. She went for throws and then ended up on bottom. But like, I didn't feel like Blada's wrestling looked to me like it was, you know, leaps and bounds. Uh, so this girl definitely suspect takedown defense, but I feel like the athleticism uh, being more competitive and the size being more competitive uh, makes it interesting to me. What do you think, Saeed Yacoub? Man, you better got some hard job, man. I'm telling you that. <laughs> this fight, man, I will I wouldn't pick either one of them. I think I would just pick like fight goes to distance or start like fight starts the second round, stuff like that. I don't think either one of them has um technique or strength to finish each other. I think they would just go to decision. That's how I see it. I like where your head's at. Uh the thing about Blada she is real tough because, again, Silva landed a ton of cracking shots before she put her down with that spinning kick to the head. But I also think that that spinning kick to the head uh, was mistimed by about, you know, a second and a half in the first round. We could have been having a whole different conversation about Blade as a fraud. She got knocked out with a spin kick in the first round. Um, you know, if you guys rewatch that fight, she literally hits her with like a spinning butt to the face because she missed by a little bit on the kick. But, again, just Blade makes some – uh, pretty predictable decisions. Like, you know, she's going to wrestle. So would you be that surprised if this girl just knees her in the face? I wouldn't be that surprised. I did see some, um, you know, ideas in the striking from Fernandez, but we also just saw her get audited in the takedown. So could limit her volume here. Next up, we've got 
Uh, Carlos Hernandez taking on Denise Bondar at 125 pounds here, flyweight fight. And I, one of my bets that I'm proud of uh, is, you know, I took, I took uh, Malcolm Gordon against Denise Bondar. And for the point that everybody's making this week, which is Denise Bondar has really not fought anybody very good over the course of his career. Now, that's not to say that he can't be good at fighting. It's just to say, you know, he was being implied as a huge favorite there against Malcolm Gordon, who had lost to some good fighters, but had also fought some good fighters. Um, so for me, it just told me Malcolm was being undervalued there, took him in that spot, gets the win in a weird fight where he was having some grappling success, and then uh, Bondar suffers the arm injury. So I feel like Bondar has a couple of red flags coming back here. You know, he is coming back off of an injury. The same things apply from the last fight. When we did see him fight somebody who was good, he got into some dicey grappling situations and then got injured. So could suggest some potential um, fragility, uh, but also it could just be unluck, right? It could just be, hey, tough roll of the dice. He shows some finishes on his resume. But again, you look at the quality of competition it comes against, and it's not something that I can infer a lot from. So for me, he's just an, an open question, and he's the favorite here, which I find interesting. But Carlos Hernandez on the other side, you know, it's kind of like you know that he's going to get taken down a bunch of times in the fight and maybe make some weird decisions, but he fights hard, uh, and I think he's probably got an advantage on the feet. So for me, this is a fight I don't have a, a strong opinion on. I'm not very convicted on this one, um, but I feel like Hernandez would probably be my player. I would pass on the fight, um, and I'm probably going to pass on the fight. What do you think, Saeedu? Oh, I got to go with Carlos, man. You know, I think he's uh, he's a better and tougher fighter. I mean, he lost to Bender, Dennis Bender. I mean, he lost his – what's his name? The guy Malcolm got, Gordon. Malcolm Gordon, the pride of Canada. Man, you cannot lose to him. And, then, you know, I mean, come on, man. I got to go with Carlos, man. He's, he's just tougher and better fighter. And, yeah, bright future. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, and he's also coming out of Valley Flow Striking Academy, yeah. which is a place I've, I've talked a lot of positively about because you see the improvements from a lot of the fighters. I mean, Juliana Pena is still nobody's idea of a technical marvel, but she went from somebody that was losing, you know, by submission to GDR to submitting the go to Amanda Nunes. So I feel like they deserve some credit for that. Yair Rodriguez becoming a guy who can submit people off his back. Uh, and also land devastating strikes on the feet. So uh, VFS doing some good things. What do you think about this one, Jay? Do you uh, do you like a side in this fight? Yeah, I think we're all in agreement here. I like Carlos Hernandez. I mean, Liam, you mentioned um, level of competition with Bondar. I mean, his record's pretty padded. You know, not everyone fights uh, Umar Nurmagomedov before entering the UFC like Sayu Cub. So, but um yeah, I just don't think that um, – I'm the, I'm not really impressed with Bondar. You know, he has a good grappling game. He's he's aggressive. But his uh, striking offense and defense both just aren't good to me. You know, he was getting pieced up by Malcolm Gordon, who's not really known as a, as a striker. Even though it was for a short time before the finish, before he got injured, he was getting pieced up on the feet, you know, before uh, getting injured. And even some of his regional fights, you saw him get uh, beat up on the feet. I just think Hernandez is the more proven fighter, you know, despite the lack of uh, experience, he's fought a decent level of competition. He's, he's, you know, been in the UFC for, you know, at least a couple of fights. And I think he's clearly going to be the better striker. You know, you could say his takedown defense is a liability, which I agree, but he has a great get up game and he tends to pop right back up. You know, Nascimento, Alan Nascimento was the only fighter to really get substantial and meaningful control time against him. And I'm pretty high on Nascimento as a grappler. So I think Hernandez just lands the harder, more, you know, like impactful strikes on the feet. 
utilizes his movement and just overall lands more damage, which we've seen the judges are definitely favoring over uh, takedowns and control time. So I, you know, I, I think he's going to get taken down, but I think he'll, I feel confident he'll be able to get back up and not give up any substantial control time. So I think Hernandez takes it. We're all in agreement here. Absolutely. Malcolm, the Gort, Malcolm the Goat Gordon, almost sub Mikhaev, was a close fight. I think Malcolm is underrated. I actually agree with you. I think Malcolm gets a bad rap because his chin is one of one of the worst in the UFC. But he has decent grappling to good grappling for the UFC level. And so it always surprises people when Malcolm has some success. He can strike okay, but it's just he can't take shots coming back at him. So for me, that kind of makes his striking a lot more, um, you know, uh, shaky, you know, he doesn't want to engage in the striking, but either way, um, he's, he's a guy that, uh, we won't have to talk about for a little while here. Can't believe he didn't make it on the Canada card. I, they dropped the ball there. Where, where was the goat Malcolm Gordon then? But next up, we got a 135 pound fight between Kyung Ho Kang and Christian Quinones. And Kyung Ho Kang has been around the UFC for a really long time. Um, you know, he's stuck around, but I feel like he's been match made pretty soft. You know, I've hear, I've heard a lot about, um, you know, he's fought a high level of competition. I feel like he's fought some good guys along the way, but he's also fought some, you know, guys that have been cut from the organization, guys that were at a lower level. Um, so he's getting older in the division, a little bit concerned about that. Um, I don't have, uh, you know, the biggest, uh, you know, impression of Christian Quinones. I felt like his last fight I'm pulling up now against Khalid Taha doesn't really tell me much. Khalid Taha um, has been struggling at the UFC level. Long shout, not really sure what that win means either. Um, but he's the younger guy. He's been putting together some experience. I think that Kyung Ho Kang, he's two and two as an underdog in the UFC. Most of his success has come as a favorite. Um, so it's kind of interesting that he's being priced as a dog here. I think the market uh, flipped this one, if I'm not mistaken. I believe he opened the favorite here. So uh, tricky fight on paper. Market seems to disagree with the bookmaker. Saeed Koub, do you have a strong opinion on this one? Oh, I think I like Christian Quinones here, man. Um, yeah, I think I like him better than the other guy. Simple. <laughs> I don't have a lot to say, man, you know? Absolutely. Fair enough. What do you think, Jay? Yeah, I don't have too much to say about this fight either. Uh, this fight, you know, it's tough to call in my opinion. I like the fact that Quinone is is big for the weight class. He's, you know, eight years younger, which is pretty substantial at the bantamweight division. But I thought Kong looked uh, really good in the striking against his uh, previous fight against Dana. So, like I said, not too much analysis in this one, but I'd, I'd go with the underdog in, in Kong. I like the experience. You know, he has a grappling upside. He's more durable. But, um, yeah, overall, low confidence here. I'd probably target the, if, if I were to bet it, the over. But um, it's probably a pass overall. Yeah, I think Dana fell on some hard times as well. I feel like that was kind of just like a, a coalescing of things there. Because uh, Kyung Ho Kang also is known for pressing the grapple and trying to get in there and take people down. And he didn't really do that there. Um, so you could say that's an evolution to his game or kind of just him moving away from uh, his bread and butter a little bit. I think he's going to definitely try and grapple here. Uh, but yeah, Christian, bigger guy, younger guy, uh, probably being put in a position to succeed here. And Kyung Ho Kang's probably cashing, cashing a, a decent sized check for his longevity. And, uh, you know, that that's something that they're probably paying mind to. So next up, we've got a flyweight fight here between Jimmy Flick and Alessandro Costa. Um, so this is a fight where, you know, Jimmy Flick, fun guy, uh, you know, crazy style, flying triangles, all this stuff. 
Uh, it just doesn't seem very high percentage for the UFC. Uh, said their retirement word a long time ago, walked away for a while, did his own thing, kind of came back to the sport now and didn't look great, I didn't think, against Charles Johnson. You know, if you're getting finished by Charles Johnson at the UFC level, whew, that's a little bit scary uh, based on what we've seen right now. Huge red flag. My guy, Saeed Yacoub's putting the X up. Uh, it, it might it might be curtains. It might be curtains there. So I think Costa, you know, he just seems like a terrible archetypal matchup. You know, big Jack Brazilian guy. Uh, seems like he can hold his own in the grappling here. And Jimmy Flick just doesn't have a great chin. He doesn't have great cardio. He doesn't have great pace. Uh, and I'm not sure how much he wants to be there. You know, his his motivation as well kind of comes and goes a little bit. I think he's live in the first round. He'd do some crazy stuff, maybe throw a couple flying whatevers. And then if it doesn't work, he's going to be like, all right, cool. It, it was fun while it lasted. Hopefully I get 50 grand. That's what I think is going to happen here. Um, so what do you think, uh, Saeed Yacoub? Do you agree with my assessment? Uh, Jimmy Flick's going to try three flying triangles and then uh, and potentially get finished in round one? Wait, I have a question. Zalgas is not fighting this weekend? No, they moved him. They moved him to next weekend, man. It's brutal. Um, uh, wait a week Man, he cannot catch a break, huh? I know, uh, I know. the The long lost beetle yeah. is trying to just get one one big opportunity. It's crazy, man. Yeah, I gotta go with the Brazilian man. Jimmy Flick is he's a fluke, so <laughs> go with. <laughs> Fair enough. Short and simple. What do you think, Jay? Yeah, I like the Brazilians too, as well. Um, I think this should be, you know, an exciting fight just because it's a Jimmy Flick fight and he's so reckless. But I definitely like Costa here. I think it's a uh, good stylistic matchup for him. You know, Flick's definitely not a striker. Majority of his fights, he wins by submission. Costa's super strong. At least he looks to be super strong. He's a uh, more of a grappler. He has really good takedown defense. He was able to defend the majority of takedowns against Amir Albazi. I feel like he just can't have confidence in in Flick. I mean, he's been fin he's been knocked out five times in, in his career. You know, Costa technically doesn't have a ton of finishes by knockout, but honestly, he looks like he hits hard. So I think he he just catches Flick at some point and just puts him out. I just, I just think Costa's just way more composed. He's, I just think Flick is relying on catching him in, you know, some sort of crazy submission, which could happen, but I just don't see it. I think Costa knocks him out at some point. Yeah, I agree. And the thing about Costa is he's shown that he can get a finish a little bit later on in the fight. And the problem with Flick is like, Round two is like his classic get knocked out round. And now it's it's happening faster against Charles Johnson. So maybe, you know, this is like the, the positive way to spin. It. It's like, oh, he just made the comeback. Maybe he looks better here. So you want to give him that benefit of the doubt. But I mean, what we've seen so far, you just have to expect Costa is going to run through him here. So I like Costa. I think he gets the job done. Next up, we've got a 170-pound fight between Muslim Salikov and Nicholas Dalby. And... Tricky fight to call, I would say, uh, in the sense that Dalby, I don't think, is better at Muslim Salikov than anything. But Salikov is starting to decline. Uh, and I think that there's a chance that he could just get grinded out. You know, Dalby wasn't better than Daniel Rodriguez, but he just beat him by staying in the fight and, you know, kind of getting a little bit of uh, favorable judging, but just kept the pressure going and just kept moving forward and doing some things. Made it competitive. You know, Dalby can get hurt to the body. Uh, he's a pretty tough guy. He normally tries to stay in there, but I feel like that could always go at any time. You know, Jesse Ronson body snatched him uh, on all the sauce in the world. So um, I feel like that 
is still looming in the back of my head, even though it doesn't show on the record. I mean, Muslim Salikov's a dangerous guy. He can spin kick you once and end the fight. So uh, the problem is he just doesn't throw in a huge volume. Uh, and again, he's coming in here with the chalk distinction. He has been KO'd flatline as well. Um, so I think that I have to favor Salikov to get the job done here. I don't know if I'm fired up to lay the price, but I think he's probably going to win. And I, I also don't love the price on the knockout. It's also, you know, under three to one, I think. Um, and Salikov isn't always that reliable to put together shots in combination, but I just think he's probably going to find him at some point. Um, one of his crazy spin kicks, something like that, uh, and just catch him as he's moving around the cage. What do you think, Saeed Yaku? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Um, on this fight, I will go with Muslim Salikov. He did win me a lot of money in his career, so yeah, I think um, he's just a better technical fighter, you know what I mean? He picks his punches better, and he doesn't throw a lot of value, but when he throws, he usually lands. So I got to go with Muslim. Yep, he throws uh, precise strikes, and he throws shots that have a lot of impact on him and normally tend to sway the judges as well. Um, he's a guy that's been money in the UFC. Five and two, I believe, as a UFC favorite. And I max bet his uh, opponent one of the times that he lost against the leech. The leech is big. He's young. He hits hard. And he was riding yeah. a lot of momentum. That is a different fight than this one that we have on Saturday yeah. night. So, yeah, I agree with you, man. Uh, what do you think, Jay? Yeah, in terms of a pick, I agree with you guys. In terms of the method, I think this one goes to decision. You know, we got two old dogs going out of here. If you look at the stats, these guys are like basically the same person, the same age. Same height. They have similar records. They both put out like a similar amount of volume and they're both predominant strikers. Although I think it's pretty safe to say that Dalby is more of the durable, has more durability. And uh, Salikov is, is definitely the more dangerous fighter. I just think it's tough, tough to call this fight. I wouldn't feel confident on either side. The only reason why I'm picking Salikov is because I think he just lands the harder, more impactful strikes. And um, the judges just seem to favor that. But from a betting perspective, I would take a look at the over. I just see it going to decision. But um, I would take Salikov as well. I like where your head's at. Uh, it's a little bit contrarian. The one note that I will make is we talk about um, fighters over 38 years of age. He's a lot more likely to get knocked out. And both of these guys, sneaky old, you know, both over 38 years of age. So that's my one concern here is I feel like if Muslim Salikov got knocked out here, it would be a function of his age. You know, it would not be a function of Dalby being a great or dangerous striker more often than not. But then on the converse side, Muslim Salikov is just a really dangerous striker. So if he was to knock out Dalby, it wouldn't stun me. But yeah, man, I, I agree. This could also just be a snail's pace kind of welterweight fight, um, you know, where they both land 50 strikes and, and it goes to a split decision for Muslim. So good fight. Next up, Moda's taking on Torres, uh, Nicholas Moda and Manuel Torres, 155 pounds. This should be a fun and exciting fight as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Nicholas Moda, Brazilian guy, has some power on the feet. Um, not really a guy that shows off any grappling acumen. One of the things that uh, made me a little bit disappointed in my research for this fight, uh, because on the other side, Manuel Torres, guy that has some clear grappling deficiencies. I think the UFC is aware of that. So they put him against Moda here instead. Um, and Moda is a guy that will normally go out there and bang with you on the feet, you know, and he's got decent ability to counter. Uh, he finds his shots all right with his uh, punches, but he's not mixing in the kicks very well um, more often than not. I feel like he gets a little bit reliant on the punches and Torres is a longer guy. Uh, he creates some power with the punches. 
I think it would be smart for Motor to wrestle here because Torres is a guy that seems like he will tire out uh, if he gets into extended fights. Uh, I'm not sold on his cardio from what I've seen. Um, so I think that Torres probably projects higher. I think he's got a little bit more physical ability and uh, talent, but I also just don't know if I love this spot for him because it was only a couple of years ago. He's getting submitted in meme-like fashion. I don't think Moda has to be, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu ace here uh, to submit him. Honestly, I think that if he just took him to the ground and gassed him out, he could get a rear naked choke. So um, that's the thing that makes this fight tricky to call. I kind of lean towards the unders here. Uh, I think it's just such a volatile fight. I wouldn't be surprised if either one of them got finished. Um, Torres is a guy that's got big power. Seems like could he gas i wouldn't be surprised and moda on the other hand is getting knocked out by jim miller face planted but he did some rocking of jim miller in that fight as well uh he has some power in his hands and he's willing to throw and he's willing to go out swinging so i feel like both of those things kind of trend towards the uh under here what do you think saeed Yacoub? do you agree or uh disagree no i agree with you i agree definitely um if you say that um the what's the name what's the guy's name on the torres right if he doesn't have a yeah. good card Brown game is not that good. I mean, Nicholas Mora, um, I think I, I I I know him. I I've been watching him for a while. I think he'll he'll take the dub here. I don't know how, but I think he has to. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. The the Brazilians are gonna get on him to go out there and do some jujitsu, get one back for the culture. Yeah, he has to, man. Simple. I like it. <laughs> so, uh, Moda by necessity. All right, fair play. <laughs> Jay, do you agree? What do you What do you think about this one? I think that um, this is another one that's just tough to call straight up, you know, outright. But again, if you're looking from a betting perspective, I think there's a lot of ways to target this fight. You know, Manuel Torres. This guy's dangerous. He's aggressive. He has a 92% finish rate. And six wins by by knockout, six wins by submission. So he's able to split that up pretty well. But all of his finishes have been in the first round. Mata's fighting style, on the other hand, I think he's a little more sustainable. He's never lost a decision. He has four decision wins himself. But he starts a little bit more uh, slowly. Definitely has some durability issues. He's been finishing all of his losses. He's been knocked out um, three times and submitted once. So Torres has obviously found some success recently with being like super aggressive early. And, you know, so in my opinion, he has no reason for changing his game plan or his strategy. But that being said, if you like Torres and you don't want to lay like the whatever he's at right now, minus 180, I'd take him by knockout TKO round one or round one in general as, um, you know, that's been his win condition in the past. I think another way to target this fight is by playing Mata by decision which earlier today was like plus 900 on FanDuel or even like the, the decision prop only if you want to play it safe um, and like kind of see how uh, round one plays out. And then you can even hit Mata live between rounds one and two if the fight gets that far. Um, so it definitely seems like Torres kind of slows down a bit. Even his last fight against Camacho towards the end of the first round, he definitely looked to be tiring out despite getting the finish. So I'm going to say that Torres knocks out Mata in – the first round given how aggressive and powerful he is and Mata doesn't seem to have the best chin but I think I'll be looking to bet uh Mata live after one round one if he gets that far 
Yeah, and just to give some context, because I, I think that, guys, I think Torres is a dangerous fighter. You know, he's got submission upside, too. That's the one thing I'll mention. He's the more aggressive submission hunter of these two guys. He's got six wins by sub, but he's got two losses by sub, both in meme-like fashion, both in the first round, both against journeyman fighters that aren't that good. So he's not a jiu-jitsu ace, but he's got long arms. So if he locks a guillotine, things like this, he's got some submission upside. But I do think that his grappling and extended exchanges can get exploited. You know, Colton England has four losses by knockout, okay? So he got, like, poked in the eye and then just gave up in that fight. Um, when you look at Frank Camacho, he's a guy that's tough. He's been around for a long time, but he's also on the way wrong end of his UFC run. He's not in the ideal weight class. You know, 170 is where he fought for a time. Then he's at 55. He's bouncing all over the place, didn't know where he should be at, and he got finished there by a jab, I believe. Um, you know, a la Zach Pauga from the first fight, right? So when we're looking at, um, you know, the guys that he was beating with subs, he submits Carlos Enrique Kenyatta, 10, 11, and one. He submitted Daniel Vega uh, via rear naked choke in round one. Like, who who are you? You know, it's like, I don't think that Manuel Torres has proven all that much to be a big favorite, but I do understand that he's got big muscles. He's got the physicality. He's got the size. He's probably more athletic and he's not proven to be easy to knock out in the same ways that Moda has been um, by his higher level opponent. So it's a tricky fight for me, but again, it all just leans towards the under for me. Uh, a guy who's got two first round submission losses, um, you know, Moda, Moda would be wise to come out here with some uh, headgear and, and shoes on, take this guy down a few times. Next up, we got Pat Sabatini taking on Lucas Almeida. Speaking of guys with good grappling um, that have been having a hard time on the feet. Our guy, Pat Sabatini, uh, CFFC, East Coast, Beast Coast, stand up. Um, but I think that, you know, Pat in his last couple fights has been a little bit concerning. Uh, you know, I, I feel like he's been getting touched on the feet. Uh, I feel like he's been getting hurt by multiple opponents. And I feel like, you know, that last fight against Damon Jackson, if you can give me 10 guesses on how that fight was going to end, Damon Jackson by KO in round one was not going to be one of my 10 guesses. So just something that really concerned me uh, for Pat moving forward. I think that this is a fight where he could easily get back on track. Almeida's given up some takedowns. He's a really long, tall guy. He's oftentimes throwing big shots that gives up your hips uh, for people trying to level change and take you down. But I also just think Almeida is a really dangerous guy who could hit Pat with one shot and change the complexion of the fight in round one, two, or three. And Pat hasn't been just an insta-kill finisher on the ground at the UFC level. He's going the full 15 minutes with Laramie. He's going the full 15 minutes with Tucker Lutz. He's going the full 15 minutes with these guys who are subsequently getting finished by lower-level guys. So it's just been a little bit concerning for me. I think Pat's a really talented fighter. All my notes on the guy, it's like, wow, his grappling looks real good here and whatever. But then he also gets his arm... Uh, snapped in a CFFC fight where he kind of just lost focus for a second and got submitted there. You know, it lists as a TKO, I believe, but his arm got broken by a by a, a hold. You know, it's like when people are trying to tell me that um, Yair Rodriguez going for an arm lock, Ortega pulls his arm out, breaks his arm, and it's not a submission. It's like, well, no, you guys don't go to grappling tournaments, it feels like. But I think that this is the kind of fights where, um, you know, Again, I'm leaning towards the under pretty heavily because I think Pat has submission upside here. I think he's going to be trying to look for takedowns, but I think his chin is a massive concern. He's coming back off a first-round knockout loss where, you know, he kind of conceded as well because he was so badly hurt. And uh, I think he could get hurt again in this fight. So I'm um, leaning towards the under, and I'm leaning towards the underdog ever so slightly. Um, haven't gotten to a play on this one. Saeed Yikub, what do you think? 
man, I have a, I don't know anything about this fight, man. I'm just, I don't know these guys like that. I know Pat is a grappler, like you said, but honestly, I'm not going to say much because I don't know anything about this. Cool. Fair play. What do you got, Jay? Yeah, another really good fight here. This one's pretty binary. You know, Sabatini's more than likely want to get this fight down to the mat and work his jujitsu, whereas Almeida, you know, he's going to want to keep this one on the feet and strike and, and look for the night, look for the knockout. Almeida has 100% finish rate. He's a super exciting fighter, 14 wins, mostly by knockout. And Sabatini is about as good as you can get on the mat. But like you said, he hasn't shown too much like finishing or like, you know, obviously he can get submissions, but. He hasn't gotten as many as you would think, given that he's such a good grappler. But he does have a solid wrestling base. I'm pretty sure he has a collegiate background. Um, he has good control on the ground, threatens with a lot of submissions, but hasn't been able to, to really get too many of them. Personally, I think that Almeida catches Sabatini on the chin at some point in this, in this fight. So I, I agree with you. I think that I like the under, and I like um, Almeida here. I like the underdogs. He throws a ton of volume. He does really well in chaining together combinations. He's super aggressive. And for someone that puts out so much volume, he's pretty sustainable and he has pretty good cardio. And uh, like you said, Sabatini, you know, you know, lately he obviously shown some durability issues. He, he got KO'd by Damon Jackson. But even before that, if you guys uh, watched the Jamal Emers fight a couple years back, before he got that leg lock submission, that heel hook, whatever he got, he was hurt early on in that fight. Um, Emmer's pretty much dropped him, but, um, overall, you know, like you said, Liam, I think the, the safest place play for this fight would be the under or even fight doesn't go to decision. I think Almeida can absolutely knock out Sabatini. And I think Sabatini can absolutely submit Almeida. Almeida just seems like the type of guy where, you know, if he gets taken down, he's not just going to just lay there and try and survive the round. I think he's going to take risks and try and get up. You know, there is the concern that, Pat gets that like body lock on him and he's going to ride out the round. But I think that um, Almeida would take some risk and try and get back to, up to his feet. So I think the under is the play, but um, I'll take the underdog and Almeida. I like it, man. Um, and I think that, again, if the lines are flipped, we're having a whole different conversation, right? Um, you know, our guy Daz says, rule of thumb, bet the grappler. I'm with you, man. If, if we're talking about, you know, a pick and price, right. Or something like that. Uh, but we're not talking about that, you know, and they're, they're giving a lot of uh, credit to Pat's body of work. Um, but I don't think they're taking into account how much damage he's taken. And again, how fine of a line he walked in some of those fights, the Jamal Embers fight is a brilliant point for you to bring up. Um, you know, Jamal Embers made a mistake. He made a critical mistake. It cost him the fight. He went for a toehold against an elite level black belt who then went for a heel hook, which is a superior position. And he got his knee blown apart. That's what happened. It put him out for a year plus. So when you look at that uh, situation and that outcome, that's Pat Sabatini getting bailed out by an, a mistake from Jamal Embers who had hurt him very badly on the feet and let him off the hook. So again, it's not like Pat has been aces on the feet prior. He's got good strikes. He's not very high volume though. And he doesn't always pursue and get takedowns at a clip that you'd want to see in my opinion for a fight like this. So after a knockout loss, sometimes that could be what people need to go. I am going to shoot takedowns. Like my life depends on it and get on top. And if he does that, maybe he looks like the hindsight big favorite here. But if he doesn't do that, I think you're going to be cursing yourself for having bet him because we've just seen a few times now, if he starts getting touched on the feet, it gets wobbly, it gets dangerous really fast, and it could get competitive. So 
I don't think Almeida is a punk, man. I think he's a very tough guy and kind of fits the archetype of guys I like to bet on. Really tough guys that want to come forward, create violence the whole fight, uh, don't want to quit, and um, and are going to give you everything that they have. I, I feel like that's all I can ask for. So, yeah, I, I lean towards the underdog here. Next up, we've got Christian Leroy Duncan taking on Armin Petrosian. And if our guy Saeed Yaku pops back in, we will bring him back up. But if not, just want to say a huge thank you to him. He gave a lot of insight. Uh, we have a ton of lighter weight fights on the card, so had a lot of uh, brilliant insights there and appreciated him uh, stopping by the panel. Hope to see him back as well. But alas, we've got a fight here uh, on the main card between CLD, Christian Leroy Duncan. He is five years the junior of Armin Petrosian. Both these guys, primarily strikers, like to keep it up on the feet, but massive reach advantage here as well for the favorite, Christian Leroy Duncan. Um, I think that this is a fight where, you know, again, a lot of these fights are pretty volatile. You know, when you're looking at guys that maybe they're not the highest level guys, maybe they haven't all cracked into the top 15 in the UFC, but they're guys that are talented on the come up, have some good skills, and they're still putting it together. Those are the guys that can make mistakes. They could gas out. They could get finished. Uh, they could do things that leave you scratching your head. Right. So with that being said, I think Christian Leroy Duncan is probably the side here. Um, you know, he looks like the guy who's going to have an advantage at distance. But the one problem I have is that he is a guy that's moving in and out of range. He's relying a lot on his footwork. That's a lot of where his defense comes from. And Petrosian is a guy who basically only attacks your legs. You know, he doesn't throw very much up top. He knows he's kind of got this shorter reach. So unless he gets all the way inside, he normally keeps his hands pretty tight and tries to just mitigate damage and throw a lot of low kicks. So I think that's what he's going to try and do in this fight. Um, however, I just rewatching CLD, he seems like the guy who's more likely to attempt takedowns in this fight. He seems like the guy who's more likely to get takedowns. He seems like the guy with more grappling upside to me. Um, so I don't think that would be easy for him to work in, but if somebody was going to do it, I think it's going to be on his side. And then I think on the feet, he's probably very competitive, if not a, a favorite here. Uh, so I just feel like he has some potential to be a bigger favorite uh, than what we're expecting based on some grappling here. If he mixes it in, because um, we've seen guys like RoboCop, who like to go out there and bang on the feet. He's got elite jujitsu, no doubt about it, but he doesn't try and apply that craft in MMA. You can go through and watch his fights. It's just not something he normally does. And in those fights, he did mix it in a little bit, and he still didn't get the nod there, right? They ended up going against him. I had a Petrosian ticket. That's one that we we put in the coffer of like, hey, thank you. You know, you throw one in the in the uh, wishing well, like, hey, you know, good, good on you. It was one that went my way. That wasn't a good decision, right? I feel like more often than not, Hobocop deserves that decision. So he's a guy that's kind of riding a little bit of upside here. I think people are seeing that. They're seeing CLD gets a win that's very fluky, right? That first win, who gives a shit about that win against Disco where he gets hurt in the early going? Did anybody have any illusions about what was going to happen there? Uh, I felt like the Disco love that week was a little bit shocking because I liked Disco when he first came to the UFC, but then he looked terrible. I felt like throughout his UFC run, didn't show tremendous improvements. A lot of durability problems, a lot of losses that aged poorly. So just a, a red flag city, right? And now I feel like people are going to say, hey, you know, what? we can't really rate that win. This is just like another UFC debut. I feel like this is a fight where he probably would be a bigger favorite here um, if he had gotten a clean win in that last fight. That, that would be my assessment here. Um, so I think CLD is probably the side, but I uh, haven't bet the fight yet. So what do you think? Yeah, I think it's another really good matchup. I mean, now that we're talking about it, this is a really good fight night card. I think that um, a lot of the, the 
the fights are well matched. So the matchmakers did a really good job here. But um, yeah, Christian Leroy Duncan, CLD. He looks to be a good prospect. He's 8-0. He has a, an extensive amateur career. Armin Petrosian, super good kick, kickboxer. He puts out a ton of volume. I think that this fight will more than likely play out on the feet. Like you said, if anyone's going to land a takedown, it's going to be Duncan. But it doesn't really seem like it's his like, primary game plan. And if even if he does land a takedown, which he can if he wants, because Petrosian's takedown defense is terrible. Um, you know, it's like his kryptonite. But, um, you know, I, I think that uh, – I, I think it's, the fight's going to stay out on the feet the majority of the time because uh, Petrosian has a really good get-up game too. So, But these guys are, are similar height. They're um, – Actually, Petrosian's a little bit taller. He's he's um, six foot three, but like you said, Duncan has a, like a massive reach advantage, eight inches. So it's kind of crazy. Um, but to be honest, I like the cardio, the striking output, and the level of competition that Petrosian has fought. And he obviously has a little more UFC experience. I think he's a he's a decent underdog bet since uh, CLD is a bit of an unknown as you know his ufc debut only lasted a few minutes so my pick's going to be petrosian if you want to get a little more bang for your buck if you want to bet him i would play him by decision i think this guy uh duncan's super durable he's never been finished and like i said he has like a crazy extensive um amateur career so but i do think if, the, if there's going to be a finish then it's going to be on the duncan side but um yeah give me give me petrosian by decision Wow, I didn't even realize how extensive his amateur run was. I had mostly just watched his pro work, but that's that's pretty crazy, man. He's had a lot, a lot of fights, and to be the younger guy here um, with probably a lot more MMA experience, I think that that could pay dividends. Uh, but the other thing to mention about Petrosian is he comes in with a lot of other fight background, uh, and he looks very competent, you know, in all positions, right? He's had his back taken by world-class guys, hasn't gotten submitted. So I don't think he's bad anywhere, but he's been taken down a number of times. You know, he's been uh, put in bad situations regionally. He's been hurt, knocked out on the feet. So I think that those are some things where definitely take that in as red flags. And, you know, when we're looking at how to differentiate guys, you know, CLD, to your point, very durable guy. Fought some tough guys, hasn't been put out, um, you know, has never been finished. Whereas on the other side, Armin has been finished uh, as a pro, but it's a it's a competitive fight, man. And it's a fight that I'm looking forward to. I think should get some good action here. And I like to find out, you know, exactly what we've got, uh, how high level somebody is. But I think CLD is going to run this to nine uh, wins as a pro and uh, and hand Armin a, a close loss here. Um, but not, not a fight where I've uh, laid the chalk. And it, it's a tough fight to say. You know, I think that Petrosian, to me, stood out as a live dog, but then the line got hit. Right. And then I started to dig into it a little bit more and I'm like, wow, people are betting against this huge reach advantage and these kind of things. That was the thing that ended up putting me off it. So um, we'll see if the market's right here. But I definitely saw some sharp movement on Petrosian earlier on in the week. And it seems like a lot of people are on the Leroy side and the line's not necessarily moving the way that you'd expect it to. Um, so those are just a couple of things I mentioned from a betting theory uh, standpoint as to why I'd exercise some caution. Next up, we've got a co-main event feature here uh, that I'm excited about. You know, Armand Sarukian, I tweeted this out the other day. He's a guy that deserves, you know, this kind of co-main event feature. You know, they can't get good guys to fight him. Uh, the best guys, let's say, top 15 guys. All right, so let's get a guy who's fun, who brings the heat, who likes to bang, who's got skills on the ground, who's a credible guy, and he's a guy that 
you know, takes on opportunities. He went out there against Neil Magny up a weight class at 170, gets the submission, gets the guillotine choke. I watched that live as it happened. Uh, and I couldn't believe that he was an underdog there. Um, you know, if I had been, uh, you know, diligent, I would have been on bet online uh, hammering that line because the thing about him is he has really good uh, sound jujitsu. He's fundamental. And on top of that, he's got some power on the feet. Where is it going to uh, meet the road here? I just don't think he's got the chin to go with somebody like Armand. I think Armand hits too hard. I think he's too fast. I think he's too dynamic. I think he can prevent any takedowns from the other side. I think he could defend any submissions from the other side. I think he can grapple with him if he so chooses. I think if he wants to keep this on the feet, he's going to knock him out in brutal fashion. I just think the way he moves his hands, the way he moves his feet, it's going to be too fast, and I don't think Silva's going to see it coming at all. So uh, Neto BJJ, fun guy. Cool guy to root for. Uh, I, I'd love to see that highlight of Neil Magny, uh, put it on a T-shirt, something like that. But uh, outside of that, man, I just think that um, he, he's kind of in a tough spot here. Uh, so, yeah, man, I'm, I'm definitely leaning towards Armand Sarukin by knockout probably in the first round. What do you think? Yeah, we're in agreement on this one. I mean, Sarukin minus 1,000 favorite. Big step down for him. You know, I was kind of hoping to get a decent number on Sarukian inside the distance, given that six of his eight UFC fights have gone to decision, which is actually crazy. But, you know, the bookies seem to be all over it as they have Sarukian inside the distance. Anywhere from, you know, earlier today it was minus 270 to minus in the threes, which is kind of a ridiculous number. But I do think that Sarukian is going to go out there and make a statement, be super aggressive and finish Silva within a round and a half. You know, Silva's dangerous. He has some good wins on his record, but he's getting up there in age, and it's he's definitely shown some issues with his durability. If um, you know, from a betting perspective, I think that you know minus two sixty five or even wider than that for the inside of distance is tough, especially because I don't think that uh, Sarukian has a submission in the U in the UFC yet. So I'd say the best play would be Sarukian by knockout, sitting around like minus one thirty. I think he just actually knocks him out on the feet, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some like vicious ground and pound, um, similar to when he fought Joel Alvarez. I'd also take a look at Sarukian, you know, in round two and round three. I know DraftKings put out some pretty juicy lines for those, but yeah, not too much technical anal analysis on Sarukian. He's a stud, minus one thousand favorite. I think he rolls here and finishes uh, Silva. Yeah, I mean, when your losses in the UFC are to Mateus Gamrot and freaking uh, Islam Mahashev, you know, we could give you a little bit of a pass, right? The Gamrot mm -hmm. fight, they could have went either way. It was very competitive. I remember before that fight, I, I just couldn't call it. I was like, this is, I feel like this is a fight that's going to be very nip-tuck. I don't know who's going to win. That's exactly what we saw. Uh, and I feel like, you know, for Armand, this is a fight where it's supposed to be his coming out party. It's supposed to be a big celebration. So I think that they're going to make him fully aware of that. Like, Hey, go out there and maybe go ahead and finish this guy as quick as possible. Um, and I think that he's going to try and oblige. Um, like you mentioned, I mean, that Joel Alvarez fight was an assault brother. Um, you know, I, I felt like um, people saw the physical attributes and a couple of things there, but length, size, things like that only matter when you're upright and able to get after your offense. And he was just getting passed too quickly on the ground and uh, just a, a absolute clinical assault from the top position. So I agree with you. I think his ground and pound is extremely heavy and dangerous. And I think on the feet, he's the faster guy. Um, so I think he's going to win this fight and, and probably do it in devastating fashion. Um, but Silva will come back and meme somebody else because that's what he does. So uh, salute the hero. 
So we got a main event to talk about, my brother, last one. And I just want to say before we do, guys, if you're not already, please go ahead and get subscribed to the channel. means a lot when you do. Make sure you drop a like on this video. We're bringing on former UFC fighter Saeedu Kagramanov. Are you kidding me? Uh, trying to bring on profitable betters, trying to bring on the best voices, guests that we possibly can. Um, so if you guys appreciate that, go ahead and drop a like on the video. Drop a comment below who you want to see on the show in the future. Appreciate you guys for the support, but we got a main event to talk about. So without further ado, let's break it down. Marvin Vittori, 10 years the junior of Jared Cannoneer, the killer gorilla, got one over on Sean Strickland his last time out in a similar odds range, right? Took the pick em win there, and now he's coming back to the well. Pick em price virtually plus 105 best available on our guy jared the killer gorilla cannoneer he's taking on marvin vittori who both of these guys have only shown losses to robert whitaker and um israel adesanya the champion and the former champion in their recent performances so they've been on a great run okay jerry cannoneer he's 39 years of age we know that eventually the wheels are going to fall off the bus here but we also know that Jerry Cannonier is a guy that's got good kicks. He's a guy that's got powerful punching. He's a guy that's got a lot of power, a lot of dynamism. On the other side, Marvin Vittori, still only 29 years of age. I mean, he's freaking a baby in this division, middleweight. A lot of guys stick around until they're 35, 36, 37. So I think he's still got a chance to put it all together. But we haven't seen that danger factor for Marvin in a lot of his fights. We haven't seen him putting the finishing touches on people. We haven't seen him going super hard to – uh, you know, differentiate himself from his opponents and and gapping them in the strike. So I think there's a lot of things that we want to see more from Marvin, that we want to see him do better. Uh, and the UFC is giving him another opportunity here. He's 4-0 in the apex, got four wins in a row uh, over some pretty quality competition uh, in his apex appearances. But he's back here. Jared Cannonier, another guy who's been putting it together at the apex. He's been putting it together in his recent run of fights. I feel like he's been looking as good as ever. You know, I felt like that Sean Strickland performance was a good showing from him. Um, and I felt like that was a really tough opponent for Jared Cannonier. And he showed up and he upped his volume to levels I didn't think he was going to be able to. So a lot of things where I found myself, you know, a little bit impressed um, by Jared in that fight. You know, I just did. I thought uh, Sean had the grappling upside. I thought he had. Uh, better uh, volume on the feet. I thought he was going to, you know, work him over, over time. And I was like, man, he's the older guy. He's not going to be able to take a hundred significant strikes from Sean Strickland. He just, he did it fine, you know? And I feel like I'm still waiting for the bottom to fall out on Jared Cannonier. We've seen him knocked out before. We've seen him hurt before. That's definitely a possibility in the future uh, again, you know, but at middleweight, He's not been finished. He did fight both the champions. You look at how he was lined against Robert Whitaker. For Christ's sakes, he was minus 110, right? The same price that he is for this fight, okay? What was Marvin Vittori against Robert Whitaker? Anybody have that offhand? It was plus 190, my friends. Uh, they didn't think he had a goddamn hope nor prayer. So I found that interesting during my research. I, I found the fact that, um, you know, Adesanya and Vittori, Adesanya kind of just disciplined Marvin. And got him to do nothing. And then Marvin puts his hands up at the end like he won. And it, it was a fight where I bet Marvin there is one of my my most foolish bets of all time. You know, it's just a split decision. I'm like, man, you know, maybe it wasn't a split, but he showed a lot of heart. He showed toughness, showed that he could get to him a little bit, work in some wrestling, some takedowns. He had a bad plan. He had a bad, uh, you know, process. He thought he was doing better than he was. He's delusional. So, like, there was just like 10 red flags for me in that fight that made me not want to bet on him. Then I was like, man, this fight against Rob Whitaker, plus 190, too wide. I was like, 
this guy's got to come through here. This is a big fight. He's fighting a guy who's older. He's fighting a guy who has had his chin tested. By the way, Rob Whitaker has been hurt by every single person not named Marvin Vittori that he's fought in his recent fights. Nobody talks about it, but it's happened against everybody, even against Adesanya, where Rob Whitaker got disciplined in that fight, got hurt a little bit in the beginning, and he was like, don't want to go down that same road again. Let's let's take a more conservative approach. So Whitaker's a, an unbelievable fighter. Make no mistake. It was a terrible bet by me. It was a stupid bet. But again, that was a fight where I'm thinking to myself, Marvin's got to come out here and show something more. He goes out there against Delidze. Dude, the commentary, it's actually comical. Go back and re-listen to the commentary while you watch that fight. Roman Delidze and Marvin Vittori. Daniel Cormier is literally saying, you know, Marvin will never take a step backwards. While the whole fight, he is just walking in straight lines backwards around the It's like, Daniel, are you wa- are you watching it? Are you watching it? Because he's walking in straight lines backwards. Roman Delidze is just chasing him with basic hooks, and he's backing up, backing up, backing up. He threw a lot of kicks. He was mixing in inside and outside low kicks. He was doing some kicking to the body. He did a good job performing in that fight overall in terms of mixing up his game. But it wasn't the same Marvin Vittori who wants to be out there swinging, banging, getting in the pocket, being really aggressive. He showed a lot more hesitancy. He showed a lot more being on the back foot. A lot of people that night were saying, no way he won that fight. Crazy decision. And now he's coming in here and people are going to bet him. They're going to say he's 10 years younger. They're going to say he's he's got the advantage and this. And that. But I just, I do find myself saying, I, I want to see it from Marvin before I, I feel convicted in him because he's fought a pretty mediocre level of competition throughout his uh, run, except for the champions, right? Like the, let's go back and look at his resume because I don't want to speak out of turn here, but his UFC finishes are Carl Robertson. And we're finished with that. Let's talk about his UFC wins. Jack Hermanson, he drops him in the first round, doesn't follow up at all, and then fights four rounds to one against Hermanson, led him back into the fight in round four for reasons I can't possibly understand even to this day. Kevin Holland, he goes out there and out-wrestles a guy who is now a welterweight and who has been out-wrestled by everybody who's ever attempted it basically ever. All right. Next up, we've got um, Paulo Costa. Paulo Costa basically says, I'm not prepared for the fight. I can't do it at a weight that we're supposed to. Moves it up. They have a very competitive first couple rounds. Marvin has better cardio. Outlasts him. Lands a bunch of strikes for the light heavyweight record or whatever. But again, it, it was a fight where I wasn't really coming away sold that Marvin Vittori is the next guy. He just is tough, durable, willing to take some shots. Got hit with a lot of big, heavy, clean shots in that fight. And that's just happening over and over and over. That's like the story of Marvin Vittori. So he could do it again this weekend and and show it again. But it's like, I don't I don't know that the current Marvin Vittori is on a path to anything better than just being a guy at the middleweight division who lurks around the top 10 and can beat some guys and can lose to some guy. I, I just don't, I don't see what he's putting together as like a winning functional game. Whereas for Jared Cannonier, he does always have the chance that he just knocks somebody out. I mean, he's got weird power, carries heavyweight power down a division. People talk about the chin on Kelvin Gastelum. He dropped him. You know, he's, he's dropped a number of guys that are tough and durable. Robert Whitaker was doing the dance, was like doing the salsa and the cha-cha and everything else, trying to make sure he didn't go down in round three against Jared Cannonier. So this is a fight where I feel like people might be sleeping on the killer gorilla a little bit. You know, I feel like the general sentiment that I'm hearing is a lot of Marvin Vittori love. Um, but I also think that, you know, for me, I'm a little bit tempted towards the underdog money on Jerry Cannonier. I also think that contrarian unders here, you know, I, I hear everybody talking about this fight's going over. It's going to decision and I can understand it. But whenever I hear that, my brain automatically goes the other way. 
And we're talking about middleweights. We're talking about one of them who's over 38 years of age, who's been knocked out twice in his career. We're talking about another guy who absorbs hundreds of significant strikes in a lot of his fights. It's like, I, I, I don't know. Like we're saying that this can't end by knockout. I don't know. It, it just feels to me like this could be a fight that ends inside the distance. Jerry Cannonier could start to gas out at some point. He's 39 years of age. He's done a lot of things miraculous, uh, you know, given his age and, and those considerations. But again, I think that it's all a, a clock. You know, how long can this last? So for me, Jay, I think this is a volatile fight. I think middleweights uh, should not be trusted uh, to go to decision at a very high clip, um, especially over 25 minutes where they could gas out. But Marvin's not a great finisher. So I guess it depends who people think is going to win the fight. But I think there's some slight value on the KO for Marvin. It's like plus 1,300. Uh, Jerry Cannonier has been knocked out twice, not by guys that are known as like prolific knockout artists either. Um, so just some things to consider there. But it hasn't been at 185. At 185, he's 6-2 and two in the division, only losses to champs. So, um, you know, really tough guy to bet against, in my opinion. Uh, what do you think about this, Jay? Yeah, uh, before we get into it, uh, Saeed Ukub did message us saying he apologized. He's in Uzbekistan and his uh, power went out. But, yeah, props to him for joining us. He's a cool dude, and uh, I hope he gets back in the UFC. He deserves it. He really does. He's a, he's a stud. I don't know I don't know why he got cut. But, um, yeah, main event, main event time. You know, tough fight to call, um, to be honest. I don't have the, the best read um, on this fight, you know, just to pick one fighter straight up. At face value, you know, you brought up a lot of these points, but at face value, Vittori, he has a decent amount of advantages. He's 10 years younger, right? He's more durable. He hasn't been finished yet. Like you said, Cannonier has been knocked out twice. Vittori has the grappling upside. He puts out more volume. He has proven that he can win fights, you know, against good, really good strikers by just striking, like Paolo Costa, Jack Hermanson, guys like that. With all that being said, I don't know. He just hasn't been too impressive lately. You know, even though he got a, he got a win against Delizze, which is a good win, it was a close fight. And then prior to that, um, you know, he fought Robert Whitaker and lost. No shame in that at all. But he was completely outclassed. You know, he looked like he was completely lost out there. Didn't know what to do. When Cannonier fought Whitaker, he got knocked down at one point, but at least he showed some promise against him. So you know, obviously Jared, or I would say Jared, has the striking advantage. He hits harder. You know, he's looked pretty sharp. He hasn't really shown any signs of regression, even at the, the age of 39. You know, he'd be taken down, but he's tough to control on the mat, and he does a good job of getting getting back up to his feet. So I really – I just kind of wonder what type of game plan Vittori is going to come into with this fight. You know, will it be a grappling-heavy grappling, grappling heavy strategy, which he has not done recently, or is he going to try and stand and strike with, with Cannonier for five rounds? If he goes the striking route, then I think that, you know, he loses this fight against Cannonier. Um, because Cannonier is probably going to land the harder strikes in the feet and and look better in the striking uh, the, you know realm. So you know overall, I think it's a low confidence pick for me. But I'm I'm going to take Cannonier as well. I I think that um, he's just going to land the more damaging strikes and, and win a decision. You know, Vittori he he honestly may be the most durable fighter in the UFC. He has a cinder block for a head, uh, but he doesn't really have much finishing upside. Like you said, he finished. Um, baby K early on in his career, but he doesn't have much power. Um, but you know, if, if you're looking to bet this fight, I think a decent way to target this fight from a betting perspective would be, you know, fight going the distance. I know it's the the popular pick on Twitter this week. And I know you like to be the contrarian, uh, which, you know, I can agree with sometimes, but I just think that, you know, Vittori's super tough. I don't think he's ever really been rocked. 
Cannoneer's tough. Victoria has no power. But um, overall, I think Cannoneer takes it. And, and a prop to take uh, to look at to consider would be Cannoneer by decision, which earlier today, I don't know if it's still sitting there on FanDuel, but it was plus 350 on FanDuel. So I think that line's off. I think but... you knocked it down to plus 340. Ah, okay. All right. <laughs> All right, plus 340, still not a bad line. But, yeah, I think Cannoneer takes this one. Yeah, man, I actually uh, I had sent as well um, in the lab VIP last night that I was looking at uh, Cannoneer decision plus 350 just because it stood out as as a price that didn't really make sense um, based on how all the other lines are for this fight. Um, you know, Cannoneer, he does have four finishes in the middleweight division, um, but, you know, you look at the quality of those guys and then maybe it's not as high quality as some of the guys that he's went to decision with, like a Strickland and a Gastelum guys that were at the title level, um, you know, he fought both those guys to competitive 25-minute decisions in main events. So I think that's something to keep in the back of our mind here. Uh, but again, Marvin Vittori, undefeated at the Apex, uh, 4-0, some things uh, on his side to like. I do think he's been making some improvements. You know, he showed different tactics against Roman Delidze. He didn't just say, I'm going to walk forward the whole time. So I think he's trying to implement changes to his game. But again, do you want to be making changes to your striking approach when you're fighting somebody like Jerry Cannonier, where the consequences of one mistake can be so dire? Um, I just think it's something to keep in mind. But um, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. It's an interesting one. I don't know uh, if it's going to be the most fun fight in the world, but I do think it has some finishing potential. So it's going to be a greasy one. 185 pounds. We've done it, guys. 12 fights. We've got some fights to look forward to as well with our guys, Zalga Zumagulov, uh, and a couple other interesting things that we talked about. But truly appreciate our two guests on the show today. Saeed Yacoub uh, had to end up bouncing. Um, but again, the guy offered a lot of great insight, a lot of great analysis. Would be happy to have him back on anytime. Um, and so appreciate all the support on the show. Jay, please tell the people where they could find you, all the great stuff that you got going on. And just know, everybody, all his information is linked in that description below uh, so you can find all his work down there as well. Yeah, sure. I mean, my, my Twitter handle is right on the screen there, at McPicks. Um, that's where you can find all my bets. I did, uh, you know, I, I do track my bets on betmma.tips. That's where I have all my plays. That is attached to my Twitter. I did hint at some bets, right? Um, but yeah, it should be a good card. Um, I'm hoping that the pacing is good. You know, sometimes when you lose some fights, you know, the pacing's not the best. I hope that, you know, they, because it's still, a, you know, a decent sized card, 12 fights is still pretty good for a fight night card. So I hope that, um, you know, they, they have it at a decent pace and we're not, you know, taking too many beer, beer breaks. Right. But, um, yeah, it should be a good one. Absolutely. Hopefully not too many cuts to the desk, you know, the three person panel shot where they're like, oh, you know, that last fight was great. Those are those are a little bit brutal. But yeah, man, uh, I think it's a good fight card. Uh, I think the only thing that could cause pacing issues is the fact that we might get some fun finishes. So, uh, you know, that's a trade off that I guess we're willing to make, too. So it should be a good night of fights, all things considered. Hope that you guys will consider supporting the podcast, guys. Liam Picks Fights Presents. You can find my first look as well as the show that we do, the panel show every Thursday, Bets and Banter. It's all going to be in the same podcast feed. So you guys can subscribe on all major podcast platforms. If you can't make it to the show live, no problem. Another great way to listen. Uh, A lot of people have been asking for audio, so finally got that done. Thank you to everybody who's been active in the chat. Say it each and every week, but I mean it. Sharpest chat in the game. Thank you to each and every one of you guys. If you have questions, comments, concern, anything else below, go ahead and uh, drop them in the comment section. We'll try and get back to each and every one of you guys. I'm trying to answer every comment 
uh, on the channel. So God bless you all. I hope that you guys enjoy the fights. Thank you to my two great guests for their time. Thank you to all you guys for your time. God bless you all. And until next time, we'll see you then. Take care, everybody. Come back next week, and we're having all the same fun. See ya.